You can't stop this. Unless you completely control the internet, you cannot stop this. This revolution, I think whatever regulations, whatever government does, I believe this to be unstoppable all the while we're living in a free world. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, there's three stories I want to cover today, but first of all, the, the most recent news is that exports to the EU are now trending above the pre-referendum period, I think it's 2015, no, 2010 to 2015, and also above the post-referendum period of 2016 to 2019. I think they're trending well above that for more than two months now, according to Bloomberg. So it seems to me that Project Fear is in a bit of trouble. You've said before that the Brexit wars are over, but the reason I'm bringing this up, apart from the fact that it's good news, is I want to know whether pro-Brexit and pro-British MPs and politicians now have some sort of structural advantage here that is going to last, and for how long? Oh, yes, there's no question about that. I mean, you know, most of the Remainers have gone to ground. They're hiding under rocks, and hopefully we'll never, ever, ever see them again. Uh, And I say that not because... I was opposed to them in the referendum or for the 25 years before that, but because of what they did after the referendum, where they willfully tried to overturn the greatest democratic exercise in the history of our nation. So, you know, the words I would use in private about these people would be somewhat stronger, uh, but I'm going to use here on a Fortune and Freedom video. So they've gone. And it's interesting, actually, in London the last couple of weeks, I have bumped into a few of those types. Um, And I have to say one or two sort of examine their toe caps and say, well, perhaps you had a point, you know, and they're talking particularly about the vaccine rollout and making our own decisions. Yeah, I mean, look, project fear, but we're living with project fear with everything, aren't we? You know, I mean, think about the pandemic. That's project fear too, isn't it? You know, you're all going to die. Climate change. We'll all, I mean, we'll all be fried to a crisp by next Thursday. Um, and so project fear in the referendum, that's part of what government uh, and even to some extent big business now do. They want us all to be terrified. I have to say I'm delighted with the figures. Uh, there are there are some obstacles to doing business with Europe that weren't there before, but then the compensatory factor for that is we do have the ability to set our own rules in our own industries and to open up much more freely to the rest of the world. And 85% of the world, in terms of economics, is outside the Eurozone. So yeah, you know, all of these sort of hell and damnation predictions, none of them have come true, thank goodness. So we do have a big advantage Uh, Those of us on the Brexit side are in control of this national debate. The question is whether this government has got the vision to turn that into as big an advantage as it could be. And of course, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, you know, genuine supply side reforms, genuinely making life easier for the six million men and women that run their own businesses in Britain would be a heck of a thing to do. And and everywhere I go, I still hear the story that medium-sized companies are having to take on more staff just to deal with red tape Uh, and our tax system gets ever more complicated Uh, the regulators don't appear to have eased up so yes we're in the pound seats but we just need to use that advantage at the moment it's not happening and it would appear that frankly boris johnson isn't very interested in economics uh you know he really isn't and all right we've got the chancellor rishi who's kind of been a bit like Father Christmas for the last 18 months, handing out money here, there and everywhere. Um, At some point in the next couple of years, 
We'll find out who Rishi Sunak really is. Uh, and let's hope we do have a genuinely pro-enterprise Chancellor of the Exchequer. We don't know yet. Let's cross our fingers. And it would actually matter now that they can make their own legislation. Absolutely. We've been uh, inundated with emails from people who responded to an email that we published from a reader about his difficulties in trying to transfer money to a cryptocurrency exchange. Now, we've been talking about cryptocurrencies a lot in Fortune and Freedom. You've been very vocal, although measured, always mentioning the risks, as we always should. But what's your message to the people who are experiencing the same sort of thing, where the bank is making life very difficult, or I would actually say almost impossible, if not impossible, to transfer money to cryptocurrency exchanges in order to be able to buy things like Bitcoin and Ethereum? Well, I think the truth of it is that uh, the banks are letting us down in the most extraordinary way. I mean, they're closing virtually all of the um, high street uh, facilities. Uh, their fees go up, not down. The service they provide is utterly grotty. Uh, they will do everything they can to discourage people getting involved in crypto. But the problem with these banks is there isn't much recourse. You know, if the bank says no, then apart from closing your account, what can you actually do? Now, there are some challenger banks. There are smaller banks out there you know, who are a bit more flexible, a bit more adaptable, um, and some of them not that heavily capitalised. And I certainly wouldn't recommend if people have got if people have got a lot of money sitting on current account, which they shouldn't. But if they have, I certainly wouldn't recommend putting everything into these challenges. Challenges, but you know, up to eighty-five thousand pounds, you are protected with each individual bank that you go to. Uh, no, I just think the truth of it is, Nick, that the entirety of the financial establishment is terrified of crypto, and they're making it harder and harder in the UK to get involved with crypto. Yet. On the other side of the pond, you know, crypto is now being used more and more and more by a much wider range of organizations. Uh, Miami, I mean, I met the mayor of Miami, Suarez, when I was over there earlier in the year, and he wants Miami to become the first city that would accept crypto for everything. I, I mean, literally, you know, go for a couple of coffees and a croissant um, and, and you could pay crypto for it. And, he, and that's what he aims for Miami to do. So I would suggest that the hesitancy in Britain, uh, they can try and make it as hard as they want. Ultimately, this is happening. This financial revolution is happening. And crypto is part of the way for individuals to take back control of their own lives. Now, there are, you know, there are scare stories and you've got to choose the right exchange through which to buy crypto. Um, and there's always the risk of hacking and there's always the risk of being defrauded. I mean, these risks are real, um, but there are reputable exchanges. There are ways of doing this. And if you feel you want to do this but don't know how, you've got to actually, you know, you, you simply have to get some advice. And frankly, and I, and I will say this because I mean it, that if you look at the crypto advice that South Bank are giving in terms of what to do and what the pitfalls are, I think through Sam Volkering, we're giving people, you know, we're not telling you pile into Ethereum today and, you know, and you can retire this time next year. We're not saying that. What we are saying is that, that we recognize it as a genuine asset class. We think there's a very realistic prospect of it being significantly higher over the course of the medium term. But the important thing that Sam Volkering does is tell you what not to do in, in terms of where you get involved. Uh, so I'd recommend anyone to look up Sam Volkering's work. He's written a book or two about it. Um, and, and I honestly, hand on heart, feel that this is what fortune and freedom is all about. It's about telling people the traps to avoid 
when it comes to dealing in financial products. And I, yeah, I'm not, you know, I believe in that very, very strongly. I really do. Yeah, because we're not a cryptocurrency exchange, we don't have that same sort of incentive to try and hide the the negatives, and, and we have that indirect. We have no incentive. We, we have no we have no direct financial incentive whatsoever in what you do with your money. But we do think that we have a depth of experience between all of us to to tell you what not to do, and I think that's perhaps even more important. If you're interested in Sam's work, there'll be a link in this video at the bottom or in the description, wherever yeah. it is, depending on where you're watching this. But um. What I want to ask you about this is that the financial sector, the banking sector, is a huge part of Britain's economy. If the cryptocurrency revolution plays out as I expect, I don't know about you, I think Sam expects this as well, isn't that quite a risk to the UK economy and, and to, the, to the UK stock markets? Well, yes and no. Uh, I mean, yes, there is a risk of it, but ultimately... As and when we head down the same route as America, which we do with everything, from finance to film to music, to, I mean, we just do, you know. Um, ultimately, it, it will be used in everyday transactions as a different means of exchange. Um, and so when you think about it, you know, I mean, if you're going to go buy, if, if you're off to buy some, you know, flat pack furniture, frankly, whether you buy that in pounds, dollars, or Bitcoin or Ethereum, doesn't, if you think about it, actually make that much difference. The big difference is how our government going to raise taxes and revenues from, from earnings in cryptocurrency. And that's the part of the equation that we haven't solved. Um, and this is why central governments and central banks are so scared of it. Ultimately, they've got to find some way, not of controlling what you do, They've got to find some way of making sure money doesn't leave the economy uh, in very, very large amounts. But look, I tell you something, you can't stop this. Unless you completely control the internet, you cannot stop this. This revolution, I think whatever regulations, whatever government does, I believe this to be unstoppable all the while we're living in a free world. That's the caveat. Let's move on to uh, a very amusing piece of news as far as I'm concerned. There was a report published by the House of Lords which criticised the Bank of England's QE policies, quantitative easing policies, and it suggested that the Bank of England might be addicted to QE. And the Bank of England governor responded by saying that was an inappropriate use of language. There's a bit of woke sort of motivation behind it suggesting that the word addicted comes with a lot of baggage and they shouldn't be using that sort of language. I'm absolutely... I don't, I don't know, bemused and, and I don't know what to make of this. I think it's hilarious. I, I wonder what you make of it. Uh, and depending on what you say, I'm going to ask the follow-up question because I, I think this is absolutely central and crucial to understand the next, probably the next decade. And yet it's a bizarre way to start a conversation. Yeah, look, you know, the truth of it is that um, QE, the first bout of QE inspired by George Osborne when he was Chancellor, you know, is a bit like saying, I'm feeling a bit rough, so I'm going to inject myself with a drug. Oh, I feel a bit better now. Um, but, you know, once you've done it once, you do it again, um, and then you keep on doing it. And in the end, it makes you sicker, not better, uh, as you become addicted to it. I think it was a very appropriate use of words. We are absolutely hooked on it. Um, from it has sprung modern monetary theory. I mean, it's for the birds, believe me. Uh, but this idea that we can just keep on creating money, uh, building up debt, and we can go on doing this ad infinitum, and there's never going to be a problem. Well, it may well be. 
it may well be that after tens of thousands of years of the evolution of man and money, that something has changed like flicking a switch. I don't believe it for a moment. And as we've discussed here before, you know, the idea that inflation is a disease of money caused by government, and this is very much part of the problem. And, you know, we've seen the inflation figures coming out this week in the States. Uh, there's no sign of this halting. And in fact, I think the truth of it is that given the components of inflation, both here in America, I think, I think the, the, the actual figures we see understate the real inflation that's there in the economy. And there's no one watching this that hasn't noticed the price of things going up very, very substantially. So, Nick, you know, I think for the next few years, my guess is that the I word uh, will, 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 will dominate much of what we talk about and most of our investment decisions. But hold on a second. There's something about this that made me, I don't know, spill my coffee, just my jaw dropped open. This isn't just the pot calling the kettle black. It's, it's even stranger than that because the central bank is not addicted to quantitative easing because it doesn't benefit from QE. It's the government that's supposed to be addicted to QE because it's the government that benefits. So I better explain that. So the central bank buys the government debt, which means the government benefits. Now, for the government in, in the House of Lords to criticise the central bank for being addicted to QE is precisely backwards, right? Yeah. It should be the central bank saying to the government, you're addicted to QE and you shouldn't be. You need to reform your, your fiscal stance. You need austerity effectively. You need to get your finances back under control because we are not going to continue to print money for you ad infinitum as much as you want, spending as much as you like. You need to stop this addiction. And yet it's the government that said to the central bank that they're addicted, which is just bizarre. There's a couple of, po there's a couple of points. I mean, I get what you're saying, but, 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 but there's a couple of points on that. Number one is that House of Lords committee is not actually representing the government. It's representing the House of Lords. So it's not actually, so it's not quite as you see it. But the second point that is a bit more fundamental is that it was Gordon Brown in 97 that gave the central bank independence from government. But in reality, <laughs> in reality, the bank does what government tells it. Uh, so I don't believe in this idea that the, I, I just don't believe in this idea that the Bank of England is acting genuinely independently. If it was, then it could give the advice, as you suggest, but I just don't think it is. The strange thing about that is the contrast to the European Union or the Eurozone, sorry, where the, Europe, the, the Germans insisted on a very high level of independence for the European Central Bank, but they're not really doing, they're not following the law as I see it anyway on that. They are supporting certain governments more than others. They are financing the government deficits of certain governments more than others. And then you've got the, the sort of semi-independent Bank of England is, is doing the same thing, but getting criticised for doing it by the House of Lords. So that it's just... It's as if the, the House of Lords and the Bank of England are trying to reenact history, but they've got their parts sort of reversed. They're using each other's lines. And I think that's going to confuse people. But I'm sure, as you say, the inflation word is going to be part of the next few years of, of discussion. So I think people yeah, need to yeah. understand this. Whoever's fault this is, and wherever the blame should be laid, the net result is the same. Yeah, and it is the massive increase of money supply. Yeah, it is... Uh, the huge building up of debt, uh, which has to be repaid. 
Uh, it is the fact we're moving into a rising interest rate environment, uh, but one in which central banks dare not put up rates too much. Otherwise, it kills any recovery stone dead. And that means inflation. That is, you know, we've been saying it now for a very long time. Um, and I think with every month that passes, uh, it becomes more of a certainty. And, you know, to repeat the point from previously, once inflation is in the economy, getting it out of the economy is a damn sight harder than anyone thought it was going to be. You know, Thatcher and Reagan proved, they proved with monetarism that you can get rid of inflation. But gosh, it came at a pretty painful price. 